Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm joined again by Andrea Lipinski. And returning for her second book with us is Patty Bianco. Patty, thanks for coming back. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me back. Good. So for those of you who've been keeping up with us, uh, Patty's with us on our first, when we did the first book of Herodotus Histories, um, which we'll return to at some point with book two. Um, and she's back for this. And uh, Andrea, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Yesterday was Labor Day and our family yeah. labored. <laughs> I did a little bit of labor in the morning because that's the only time you can get out in the yard here without mm. dying right now um, in, in Texas and Houston. And then then Hawk and I did went and did the fantasy football draft and, uh, you know, spent the rest of the day reading this, actually. So, um, <laughs> well, not the rest of the day, but some of the rest of the day. Well, that brings us to what we are discussing this time. We are kind of uh, um, jumping forward a little bit. Um, as if you were listening to, uh, on our last series on the Oresteia with with Brian Phillips, we let you all know that we were going to be talking about On the Human Condition, um, which is a collection of homilies primarily and then a, a letter and a few other things by St. Basil. Basil, known also as Basil of Caesarea or St. Basil the Great, he, along with his friend Gregory and his brother Gregory, both saints also, uh, make up what we call the Cappadocian Fathers, uh, Cappadocia being where they were all from uh, in around Turkey. And so just a f- so that we thought it'd be fun to kind of jump into uh, some early church fathers and also discuss something that we kind of left off with in the Orstea that, that a little bit um when it comes to the nature of man and the God and, and God. And so it seemed like a good place to go next. Um, a few notes. Uh, one, this is not uh, a text that was all together through all of antiquity and through all of, you know, kind of classical history, uh, education, history. Um, it's several te- uh, homilies by St. Basil um, that all kind of ha- have something to say about the human condition. Um, the first two were, were probably back to back homilies uh, purposefully and we'll kind of talk about that more as we go but these were translated into english for the first time about 25 years ago and collected in this in this uh this grouping and given the name on the human condition um and so we should all be working from the same text it's uh, the popular patristic series um by saint vladimir's press but uh so it should that should be nice we can we can refer to page numbers so that's just that's all the history I want to give, um, you know. And I'll I'll do the other side if we do the history. Um, this is an enjoyable book to physically hold in your hand. <laughs> it feels good. It's a good size. It fits in yes. your bag. The pages are of a nice smoothness and weight, and the text is dark against a nice mm-hmm. background. Just in enough white space. Yeah, I, I highly regard this series. Yeah, yeah. A little bit on what we're gonna, how we're gonna cover things. Um, originally, I told Andrea and Patty, "Hey, let's do, you know, kind of two at a time. We'll get through. We'll do like three episodes." And um, I don't know what I was thinking because, as I mentioned, this is one of the Cappadocian fathers, one of the earliest great theologians of the church. I don't know why I thought I would be able to to dive deep into two homilies. <laughs> this man but we are not going to do that we'll be doing these at least the first several uh kind of one homily at a time so uh well that should make the the reading relatively short in length but deep in depth so uh, mm-hmm. it's gonna look a good fit for this so um 
yeah, I'll just point out from the very beginning that I was I was foolish to think I could I could wrap my head around Saint Basil's <laughs> words easily, um, and uh, it's a little humility to start out the start the show. Yeah, I was pondering. I was like, so who's gonna give the <laughs> narration? <laughs> right. Yeah, the narration. All right. I tell you what. Since I've already put my foot in my mouth, I will I will give it a shot this time. <laughs> okay. So uh, the first homily is is called on the. Origin of Humanity, Discourse 1, on that which is according to the image. So, as I mentioned, the this probably was um, a kind of a two-part two-part sermon series by if you're, if you're talking about a modern parlance by by St. Basil, where he was uh, dealing with the, the the nature of man. There's some indication that maybe uh, he he had get there. There were a set of series, he, a series of things he gave on creation that didn't include man. Like kind of came right up to man that are oftentimes bound together. Um, mm-hmm. That he where he covers Genesis one and Genesis two, and so there's some indication that this was intended to be the 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 end of that that he did that he did later. Um, that he had kind of promised in those sermons. It kind of promises that he would come back to to the the nature of man part. And to, to that point, the first homily seems to focus primarily on the Genesis one account. And then I think he, then he goes to the Genesis two account in, in the second homily. Um, and so this is where we get into talking about the image um, man. And so that's, that's really where we, he dives right in um, beginning with what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Um, and he spends quite a bit of time on that, um, uh, you know, comparison in comparison to somewhat in comparison to how the animals are created um but he begins talking about the image of man and and how that what that isn't you know the, the mistaken ideas of what that means um and also how we are in, in, in the image of god um and then he follows it up with what does it mean to be in the likeness um and why are both those things necessary uh in that description in in genesis one but why, why do those two parts um have to be true of the creation of man or how does it set set the creation of man apart from the rest of creation maybe is a better way to say it so without jumping into the depths of there's not a lot more to say other than that's that's kind of the structure of the whole first uh, homily uh covering what it means to be like in the image of god and what it means to be like in the likeness of god made in the likeness of god um he deals with some trinitarian things at the very beginning of that as well uh, to to kind of make sure there's uh i think i think if i have my timeline right this is in between Nicaea and Constantinople. So St. Basil actually helps shape some of that second uh, refining of the of the um, mm. of the Nicene Creed and Constantinople. At that point, I think he's a bishop by that point. So if I remember correctly, this is these are these would mostly be in between or they're right after, uh, depending on when he wrote them in, in the homilies. But he is part of that second um, council, I'm pretty sure. So that's about as good as I can do <laughs> on, <laughs> on a narration of this homily. So we should probably just dive in together before I put my foot in my mouth anymore. Mm. Okay, well, I'll start us with a question. All right. Simple, simple. Like the, the sections are separated out in one, two to 20. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming the translator put those in. That's that's my guess. Um but it doesn't. It doesn't say that. I, I'd read about the translation in the very beginning. It doesn't say that in yeah. particular. Okay, I didn't find anything either. Patty, any experience here? No, I. I don't know if it's the translator or 
I guess I would assume that makes sense. Like in a homily, you yeah. don't typically, I mean, unless you have bullet points or something, but this seems yeah. like he's just taking bits by bit of that Genesis yeah. section. It's possible too, I would think that it's either an earlier translator, because I think it was translated into Latin at one point, or mm-hmm. just an earlier copier copying it down the same way that the, the numbers start getting put into the books of the Bible as they're kind of, um, I don't know, maybe it's a page, you know, like, like one sheet of paper, one, one sheet uh, of parchment, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just where they thought there should be a break. I don't know. Well, what I attempted to do while reading it was to title each section. Okay. That was my way of like, what do I understand from this? What is it about? Yeah. You know, that's something co- like that. Um, that's one of Kobe's favorite things to do too is title sections. Yeah. So that's what I attempted. But I don't know, you know, how random are the sections, right? Yeah. Who imposed the sections? That kind of a thing. I well, know. I think it's still useful if there's if there's kind of a main, you know, idea in in a in a section um mm-hmm. through a passage, even if they're not broken up this way by the writer and they tend to have sections in a, in a, in an address. So, so I would say out of this entire homily, his opening section, I could probably sit with you. I would enjoy sitting with the two of you <laughs> for an hour to discuss. <laughs> I enjoyed just that section that much. But number one. Yeah. Like number one part. Yeah. So if you go near the end, he says, our mind does not see itself otherwise than by examining the scriptures. Where the light reflected there becomes the cause of vision for each of us. We do not scrutinize our own structure. We are ignorant of what we are and why we are. Those two, right? So the first part that I read is that our, our we cannot see ourselves other than by examining the scripture. Because the scripture becomes the light that reflects ourselves back to us. Like a mirror, which is what he uses up above. Yeah. Right. Like, well, and I'll just follow on to that. Cause I had, I mean, I had, I had part of that underlined is just kind of the main section point of that part, but in yeah. the very, in the very next section I have in blue, mm-hmm. where we are satisfied to know the sky rather than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Do not despise the wonder that is in you for you are small in your own reckoning, but the word will disclose that you are, that you are great. And I just, um, I couldn't help thinking, I mean, I, I read, like, I think like I said, I read, I only read in the introduction about his life a little bit and works to kind of, kind of place him in my mind historically. Um, mm-hmm. But all three of them are, are students of, of the school of Athens. I mean, in, in Athens, like philosophical students, in addition to being uh, Christian theologians. And so I couldn't help, but, but see, you know, Socrates, like, like you got to know yourself like you know what I mean? like yeah and, oh i totally heard that and and the completion of that though like what you brought up there is so important in that first section is that that reflection is in the scriptures for the christian right like it's not just this kind of inward looking i can sort it out on my own but that ref- it's a reflection from the scriptures um which you know for me makes i mean i'm not i'm stating the obvious here but these these are the theologians that are really bridging that gap between the ancient thought and the Christian revelation um, in such a, such a fascinating way. So is that totally, I guess I hadn't heard it this way, that the, the mind 
does not see itself otherwise than by examining the scripture. Like to me, that is, he's making an absolute statement. There's yeah. no other way. Like this is the way you come to know yourself. Yeah. I scripture. wonder if he's making that distinction specifically against, not against, um, as a corrective, right? Because I wonder if he's saying as a Christian that the, the, the philosophical, uh, that the attempt to understand oneself through philosophical reasoning is always going to come up short because, because the person doing the looking is there's an, there's an imperfection. There's, there's a, there's a veil there that that's impossible to kind of get around. And so it's always going to be a little bit distorted, but scripture is the corrective to that. Just like an actual reflection shows you what you actually, your, your eyes and face actually looks like. It's not possible to see on your own. I don't know. Uh, I, like I'm like, I'm with you. We could, you could spend forever in these two first two sections. I really like, I'm just thinking of all of the self-help books that exist. They don't yeah. tell you to go to scripture. I mean, right, like, I, I just, the, anyway, I half just, the Christian script, half the Christian health self-help books. I'll tell you to go to scripture. <laughs> not a, like this. No, no, no. They, the Christian self-help books will still give you their little program. Mm. They give you the piece of scripture they picked out for you. Fine. <laughs> with their little program message. That's right. And keep coming to us to help you. What do you think, Patty? I was thinking that it, it ties to on page 34 where he says the prelude to our creation is true theology. So to understand our creation, we have to start with theology, the scriptures, the word. And I wondered why he tossed the word true in front of it. Are there false theologies that he's speaking towards right now? Yeah. He doesn't seem I'd to have extra words. <laughs> During that time, I imagine, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the, he, the very next thing he gets into is misconceptions about what it means to be according to the image of God, right? So he starts talking about people. So there's probably people talking about God in having a physical body. Right. Right. Um, which, by the way, we've carried forward into our own. We still picture God as like old man with a white beard. You know, like that's still the image in, <laughs> in art and architecture. Well, isn't that on some famous painting? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think that true theology, you're right. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't use words unnecessarily. So, nope. No, and then in that part where, you, where we are now in the fifth part, he mentions, do not diminish the great one in a Jewish way. Like, whoa. Yeah. Very specific. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Calling out. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious if there was a particular. When I read that, I was curious if there's because at this point you're getting into rabbinical Judaism, which is, you know, post Second Temple Judaism. A different. It's a different thing. There's no temple. There. It's moved to the synagogues. It's a different formal structure. Mm -hmm. If they, if there is more of a, some kind of more of a bodily concept happening during that time period with rabbinical Judaism or, or what he's referring to. It's, it's. I mean, he's really clear in this section, right? That yeah. we shouldn't give a bodily concept to God, no shape to him. Um, yeah. He says that you don't, you don't see it that way. 
Well, no, he does. And I, I'm thinking as you're saying this out loud, that's mm-hmm. the that's the first thing he talks about. But then at the end of that paragraph or the end of that section, he says mm-hmm. he is everywhere and surpasses all. Uh, and he is intangible, visible, who indeed gra- oh, sorry, invisible, who indeed escapes your grasp. He is not circumcised by si- circumscribed by size or encompassed by a shape, nor measured by power, nor enclosed by time, nor bound by limits. Nothing with God as it is with us. So I'm wondering if he's, if he's, um, I wonder if there's, if what's happening in the Jewish community is this, as it, as it kind of reacts to Christianity, is that it's circumscribing God in other ways, not necessarily bodily, but like, no, he's only for the, he's only for the Jews. And he's only in the, you know, uh, his grace does not extend to this, to this area, to these people. Mm-hmm. If it's those kind of circumscriptions that he's talking about, I don't know, mm-hmm. but maybe, maybe that's what's happening at the time. Cause that's more that expansive me, than just the body. That makes me think of Jonah, Isn't the story of Jonah where he goes up and he doesn't want to save the people of Nineveh. And he's yes. sitting under the tree and then the tree withers and he wants God to conform to what he thinks God should do for him. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's interesting yeah. how the words are important. In section three, he talks about um, how things were fashioned, right? In Genesis, mm-hmm. light came to be. There was a simple command let there be light. Mm. Heaven came to be without deliberation. But yet, the human being, there was some deliberation in that. So that we're we're unique. There's something different yeah. about that. And I like his um, command to us: learn well your own dignity. Right in relation to that, Patty, what you just shared. I was trying to find where that was. Oh it's yeah, at the top of page thirty-three, second line. He did not say, as with the others, let there be a human being. Learn well your own dignity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He didn't just command, make. <laughs> he says that somewhere else. He doesn't say it right, right there. I don't remember where he says it, but he doesn't. He didn't do it like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, I, I mean, when I got to this part, I just I heard Andrew Kern's voice, deliberation. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. This 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 next section is so. This is one of those ones you're like, well, this is too dense for us to be able to do two homilies at one time. Um, Because like you're talking about Patty, he one is, is making this distinction between all the rest of creation and clearly something different is happening when it comes to create man. There's something special happening, but he also uses this as a launching point to like take a page and a half to expound on the, on the Trinity. So it's like pointing out, like Trinitarian theology is baked into Genesis one. Like it's right here, right? So he's like, so he's doing he's doing double duty in this section in a way that I'm like, oh, I can only follow one track at a time. <laughs> okay, so with that in mind, let's go back to three, per, the section three, where he gives the he quotes Genesis one. Let us make the human beings according to our image and likeness. Genesis one twenty six. His next word. Recently, scripture showed in passing and showed sufficiently what this word is and to whom this word is addressed. Recently? 
Hmm. I struggle. Like suddenly recently scripture showed something. I don't know where to place that. Let us make the human being according to our image and likeness. Y'all didn't notice it at all? No, I did. Like, I, um, I, I, I wrote it on the margin too. like, when is recent? Well, I'm trying to think. <laughs> showed in passing and showed sufficiently what this word is and to whom this word is addressed. Well, because I just, so I went there because of talking in section four about now we're talking about Trinitarian theology. Maybe, maybe he's addressing exactly what I was just saying that New Testament scripture. So the gospel, the gospel account, mm-hmm. and then, and then the acts and the letters, um, like is illuminating everything that's going on like that that in the old testament that's illuminating mm-hmm. the genesis one yeah that the the word who it because what this word is and to whom it, this word is addressed uh, the word mm. what this word being let us make the human being according to our image and likeness he's he maybe that's why he goes into his trinitarian argument is because he's saying the the revelation of the new testament of christ and of christ which is of christ right shines light on this that um you know it's not god talking to the angels it's not you know it's it's god in communion with himself it's the three persons is what's happening Mm -hmm. there that's that's the only way i can understand that maybe but that would make Mm -hmm. sense that that would help me understand why he launches into the the trinitarian argument next which is why i took us back because i think that's what that is interesting okay Okay. All right, but I gotta say, when I'm when I was reading the you know God is three in one section here, mm-hmm. I was wondering because he's you know he wants he tells us beforehand to learn well our own dignity, to know yourself through searching Scripture, and then he proves shows us that God is three in one. Are we gonna be three in one? Mm-hmm. My head asked the question: Is he gonna pull on that thread? Mm. So. Well, it's not for a little ways longer, but he does. Interesting. He calls us two. So we have two. Right. Not three. Yeah. You know, just because we're talking about the likeness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm the only crazy one who thought that. Well, I was. I, I, I didn't get far to think that about questions. I was just trying to. I was, I was trying to wrap my head around the, his his Trinitarian argument more than anything else. In this section. Okay. Um, like just how well it's answered here. Like he just kind of, it's unsurprising that he would be someone working on the uh, on the on the Nicene Constantinople Creed. <laughs> you read this. Oh, okay. okay. Um, the way he parses. I thought it was interesting again the phrasing, and obviously this was translated, but they yeah. make the argument about let us make. Versus, and they made. So you would mm. not receive an occasion for polytheism. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, you're in section four. four. Second paragraph, middle-ish. Not for the Genesis 1 quote. Or reference. Yeah. Because they would have pluralized it in a different way. Whatever that's being translated there. Right, but I mean, you're right, Patty. I didn't pause over this. You're right. Um, For if the person is introduced as a multiplicity, 
people would have become heedless and heaping up for themselves a great crowd of gods. The Greeks did that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. And then he goes on to clarify that he means the power, not the hypos- not the person's the hypostasis. Yeah, that always gets tricky for me. I don't know. When it <laughs> starts talking about the existence, like how the Godhead came to be. <laughs> well, and it leads us all to the the line you brought up, right? The prelude to our creation is true theology. Yeah. I mean, it's he's basically saying if you can't, well, maybe I don't. Know. I I read that as saying if you can't assent to this understanding. The three and the Godhead and the three and one. Mm-hmm. That's that's true theology. The arguments are what's put forth in the creed. Then, then you you're not ready to understand understand your creation. Like if you're like you're not ready to move on. Because yeah. then he finally gets into what it means to be the image of God at that point. So he, sp- he spends time on that first. Right. So that's fascinating in some regard because he says. You've got to understand theology to understand yourself. And to know that, you've got to understand God is three in one. He's not three separate gods, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can make a multitude of them, and there's only one. And then section five ends with nothing is with God as it is with us. So come to know God, but none of that applies to you. (laughs) (laughs) But that brings you back to your first point, right? You said when you brought up that, the only way to know yourself is, is the reflection in scriptures. Yeah. He's saying that's that he's just, re, he's kind of saying that different way, right? That you can't, you have to assent to the right view of God before you can begin to understand who you are. Because if you're creating the image and likeness of God, how can you be, possibly begin to understand that if you don't accept the truth of who God is? And we get that from scripture. Maybe someday I can know God. <laughs> Maybe someday. Man. Yeah, like how he says in that section five, God is without structure and simple. Uh-huh. Do not so think great. of God as simple. <laughs> right? Isn't that great? Like we think of that term in the, such the wrong way, but like it's like irreducible, basically. That's oh, that was I have that yeah. level, that one underlined too. I was like, that's such a good line. Yeah. And then he takes the word simple and plays with it again. He says, God is understood from his power, from the simplicity of his nature not greatness in size. Yeah. I noticed that. Simple. And I hear, I heard again, Andrew Kern, where he talks about, because if some if somebody says, well, I just, I just want to make things simple. And, he, and Andrew will tell you, that's the hard. That's the hard part is to actually make things right. simple. Right. Because simple can't be parsed anymore. Can't, it's, irre- it's irreducible, right? Yeah. I mean... Which is why it's so hard to write well, because if I want to write well, I need to use less words and say it clearly. But I can talk all around circles and get nothing. Right. right? I can just keep talking and writing and writing. Um, But to actually be clear and say it, that's the hard part. Right. And this is what he's doing so well in here is he makes these statements and then he'll expound upon it. But that's that's that simple statement. That's that's the truth. Right. So. Yeah. All right, look at us. One quarter of the way into this. All right, now we can talk about what it is to be the image of God. <laughs> mm. No problem. Okay. 
So he interestingly lands primarily on reason is the image part. Um, but that wasn't still easy for me to, to totally understand. Yeah, I mean, I titled this section body plus reason. Yeah. Right? The reason is housed in the body. Because he says the reason, but then in the beginning of, of section seven, mm-hmm. he says it speaks of the inner human being. Let us make the human, the human being. Why does it not speak of us? Uh, but you will ask, why does it not speak to us of the rational part? Mm-hmm. Um, but the rational part is the human being, it says. Um, yeah, I don't. This is one of those ones where, like, I knew, I know that he's not saying what I think he's saying. Because I Uh-oh. I trust that St. Basil is not a Gnostic. <laughs> mm. So, it, like, so I, I trust that he's not disregarding the body um, mm. as part of human nature. But he's just focusing on how, in what way, we are the image of God. So that's what I had to keep reminding myself because... I think there's a there's a path here where you're like, well, St. Basil says the body doesn't matter. You know? Mm, I don't um, read that, especially in six, right? He talks about Yeah. Go ahead. It. I don't think he removes that in seven. Um, so when he gives the definition, now he gives when does he say he's gonna give the definition? He gives it later. He's at the end, the last full paragraph, I guess that's more than a sentence. He says, Therefore, we have an inner human being and we are somehow double. And it is truly said, which makes me think of fairy tales, and it is truly said that we are that which is within. For I am what concerns the inner human being. The outer things are not me, but mine. I'm not a hand, but I am a rational part of the soul. Um, the hand is a limb for the human being, right? So this this body is mine, but it doesn't it doesn't represent me. It's not the essence of me the body yeah i yeah. think that's what he's saying yeah i agree with you well i'm gonna be quiet for a minute <laughs> i have the thing Abby? well i was just wondering in the image does he mean that it's unchangeable because he talks about for the shape of the body is corruptible mm. right the incorruptible is not depict depicted in the corruptible nor is the corruptible an image of the incorruptible so because our our bodies change right even Mm. talks about them different colors when you're awake and asleep Mm. which never observed (laughs) yeah but just trying to understand like how could our body changing be something that is like god who is unchanging that's interesting. I'm glad you highlighted that. Because that comes back to the idea that God is irreducible and simple. And so the part of us that's an image of God would have to be the part that's ir- that's irreducible and simple. Mm. Which is not the body. Which is not the body. Yeah, and unchanging. Not the physical body, not the material body. A silly, silly question. How do we know God is unchanging? When, like, he just assumes we all agree to that. He doesn't lay out that case, right? Did I miss it? This is our Sunday school catechism, right? We okay. memorized it. <laughs> right, we memorized it. <laughs> no, yeah. Yes, we did. That's right. Because I was not raised in a Christian home. <laughs> uh, 
I think he's assuming it. I mean, he's he's talking to Christians, and I mean, he's giving a homily. You know, so he's yeah, um, he is, and he's assuming it as a as a as a premise of Christians. Maybe that was last month's series. But also, I mean, this was his homily before. Yeah. <laughs> Even I was curious. A, I missed it. Like you know. No, anyway, I just. I don't think so. But even with a Greek yeah. audience, you would you would have knowledge of of their Greek philosophical audience. You'd have knowledge of like the unmoved mover and all that kind of stuff. So there's something unchanging. And he's calling that God. Yeah. Or he's saying it's God. Yeah. But well, yeah, at the end of he doesn't, five, he, he doesn't make the argument he, in this homily. He does state that he is everywhere and surpasses all. He is mm-hmm. intangible and visible. Who indeed escapes your grasp. He is not circumscribed by size, nor encompassed by a shape, nor measured by power, nor enclosed by time, nor bounded by limits. So he does define God for the premise of, for the purpose of this of this argument. Quickly, yeah. I would just I would like more. <laughs> That's what I think it is. Like, how do we know that? And how do I get that? I, I I'm thinking I need to go see scripture. I'm thinking that's the answer. <laughs> and to Patty's point, it may have been something that was covered in other homilies, right? Like he, yeah, in so. our catechisms, and yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay, I feel better, Patty, about that. Thinking about the the image being separated from the physical body in that way, without it leading toward Gnosticism. Like I said, I, I don't. Ready. What Andrea shared, I think, shows that, you know, we can't put the body aside, right? It's still mine. Right. right? We still right. have hands and feet and mm-hmm. a behind on which to sit. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, scripture but, actually tells us he sits on a throne. What yeah. sits? What part sits? Yeah. But he's saying, don't think of that as no, a body. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I think we'll get to... I think maybe that 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 uh, this will come back around. We start talking about the likeness in a little bit, but yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's that capacity for reason, but also he ties that to ruling, right? That's mm-hmm. the other part of the image he talks about is the ruling, mm-hmm. which I think we're uncomfortable with a lot of times. But right. So he takes in the middle, but the bottom of page thirty-six, he says the things of the flesh are second, right back to the body. The priorities of the soul are first. And first, the power to rule was conferred on you. Oh, human, you are a ruling being. Hmm. I, I, I mean, right? Like the way he speaks, and again, it is a translation, but learn well your own dignity. You are a ruling being. But I, I like the question he had in part six where he says, is the ruling power in the soul or in mm. the flesh? Yeah. So we're a ruling being, mm-hmm. but how do we rule? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because physically we're weaker than many, many, many of the beasts, right? Right. And he ends the section eight with where the power to rule is, there is the image of God, which is what you said, Brandon. The next, the next way he unpacks the image bearer mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. are is in ruling. So then, Patty, where does it lie? Well, he compares us to the 
fish, right? And yeah. the birds and the beasts. And yes, our our flesh is weaker, right? Beasts yeah. could tear it up. Mm-hmm. But then he talks about like if you the fish even scattering if they see the shadow of man. Right? There's there's something that the creatures know that man is ruled ruler over them. Mm-hmm. He goes as far as almost the second to last sentence of section nine. He says, "Thus, everywhere, the power to rule given by the Creator is innate in the human." Right, like you just said, all the animals know it. Well, all the fish know it. <laughs> maybe not the lion. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> The fish know it. Oh, man, I was out paddleboarding in the Reed Harbor of the Salish Sea in the San Juans. And 20 feet ahead of me pops up a seal. I'm like, okay. I mean, they're 600 pounds, right? Um, And then I'm guessing it was female, but I'll just say she's a she. She pops down and I just keep paddling the same direction. She pops up again now, 10 feet away. Like, oh, boy. I've seen what they do when they hop on docks. And if she thinks mine is just a floating dock, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are docile creatures too, right? Like. For the most part. You get up near a cow, you realize that's a big animal. Like. Like if it shifts the wrong way, I'm in trouble. It doesn't have to be like a lion that could, that's what material with his teeth. It's just. Just enough weight there Movement. to crush to crush me. <laughs> like yeah. that's a domesticating, right? You get you know, and so but he does talk about, yeah, the lion's not gonna make it attack you, but we cage the lion. So how does that happen, right? How does mm-hmm. how do we cage the lion? Um it's because By we our have, reason, right? Because yeah. that's what section 10 says, is our reason makes others submit. Right. Because by reason we're not we're not um beholden to just kind of like animal instinct right and we can think beyond that and how to catch them and cage them mm-hmm. right yeah i mean what would he say and then he goes and says that the human being does not ascend into the air what would he say now that we like do ascend into the air I mean, yeah right maybe, maybe we shouldn't but um <laughs> but, there's his definition section 11 where he says okay the human is dun, dun, yeah, dun, yeah, dun. Yeah, yeah 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 irrational creature of god Having come into being according to the image of his creator. I was like, that this is such good. Yeah. There's a couple of times in here where I'm like, oh, this is like a fantastic definition for Christians to know that no one's ever told me. <laughs> That's like, I'm turning 50 this year. And I and didn't this, know that if I really want to know myself. And this homily's been around. I was like, why did no one translate this into English until 20 years ago? This would have been so useful. The first 20 years of my life. Yeah. First 40 years of my life. Uh, yeah, the human is a rational creature of God, having come into being according to the image of his creator. Mm-hmm. I think he almost talks about the airplanes. If I can yeah. be so bold. In section 10, about mm-hmm. three-fourths way down, it says, um, By a small touch, he has ruled the bird, the one traveling in the air, the winged creature born through the ether, he has led captive by the glue. So this talks about the child setting a prank, which I've never heard before, to catch a bird. <laughs> so the human being remains below, his hand below, but his 
mind ascends, and through mm-hmm. skill, all things become accessible to the human. So our skill, our reason, allows us to create planes so that we can fly. fly. I think mm-hmm. we can, we can, well, he gives us dominion to rule the beast and the fish and the plants and vegetation. Um, do we have dominion over sky and seas as well? Yeah, it took me a couple, I had to read that one a couple of times to figure out what is this kid doing? How's he trapping <laughs> this bird? The like, it seems kind of cruel to, to put glue on reeds and it does try to capture. It basically makes a really long stick with glue at the top and then catches the like gets the bird to hop onto that, apparently. And apparently, they do this a lot. I don't. I mean, he wraps it up. He sets traps for the winged creatures. Archers aim at those who fly. With mm. baits, he hunts the hungry beasts. Mm. Right. Here's what man does. Here's how man behaves. Yeah, even how they trap things like as big and like as an eagle or a hawk. Right. It's, it's, it's the next part. And yeah. I don't think it's, I want to capture any reptiles, though. I'm good. Yeah. There's plenty just roaming around. My youngest son used to catch lizards, and he would bring me lizards. He would bring me scorpions. He would catch insects. He never got stung by a scorpion in Texas. Um, That's impressive. Right? But the first time he brought me a lizard and it it separated itself from its tail and ran off, he was in utter awe. He was hooked. That'll freak you out the first time. Like, what just happened just now? Why am I holding this little quivering tail? Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Going back to where you were just at the very end of 11, yeah. said, you said the human, that gives that definition, the, the human is a rational creature of God having come into being according to the image of Christ creator. And they this like drives it home. If something is lacking to this concept, let those who have spent much in acquiring the perishable wisdom examine it. According to the image of God, the human came into being. So it's like, if you're, I don't know, it's, it seems to be sent like kind of, poking in the eye a little bit like the wisdom that comes up short of this is perishable. Like it's not, it's not the wisdom of scripture. It's not the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Section 12 was, I'm, I didn't quite understand the transition because then 13 goes into the three sevens. Yeah. He goes, interesting. Right. Cause in 13, he moves into this, this kind of long thing about the physical body's growth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the physical yeah. bodies change, right? In the first three, in the first seven years, I guess, is the childhood. The second three, forget what he calls it. Um, but in the third three, whenever the body recovers from the work of growing in height, it begins to move to broadening and, as it were, establish a firm foundation all around for what has been raised up and to place thickness around it and to strengthen the lungs of the body. Like, oh yeah. Um, right. The think of the 20 year old, they're a little different than the 14 year old. And yeah. you can see the 14 year old in the 20 year old, but it has thickened. Might not be much taller, but something right. has changed. Yeah. I think yeah. I think the last line of 12 is really its its point. Is okay. that is that mm-hmm. you have all the things common to the rest of nature also. So you have the uh, that makes it like the the and then it goes into this kind of thing of like growing and maturing, which is common to 
Oh, that's the transition. Thank um, you, Brandon. Yeah, that that because that I think is going back and saying, okay, listen, like let's let's reiterate. You have all of what was created beside man, but then also this higher faculty, right? Mm-hmm. So then he's going to go and he goes into this kind of kind of backtracks into this physical part, um, and but then uses it uh, moves it forward into the analogy of how that happens with the image, also. I think. Yeah, I think he's distinguishing, right? Because he says it was a blessing, right? To grow and multiply mm-hmm. and fill the earth. That was mm-hmm. both given to us and to the reptiles and the fish. And how do, still, how are we different, right? That reason. But we also have this commonality with them and shows how that body changes. Mm-hmm. Thank we you. have that nature. I found it interesting that at 21, then basically he's saying the the child has grown up, you know, and yeah. so, what yeah. our American society still holds on to that in some regards, you know, some things we allow to happen at 18, like voting, mm-hmm. um, but some things don't happen until 21, like alcohol. And we just moved tobacco into that category too. Which, which one is it? 18 20, or 21? It's, it's 21 now. Oh. Which interestingly, those are both things that have th- impact on the physical body, physical. right? The senses. Yeah. And so we've moved them to the point of what he calls physical maturity. Which is okay. So I, I'll digress for a second, right? So I, I think we've all heard to some degree because of our car insurance, we all have males that have been on car insurance for us with us, right? Mm-hmm. That their car insurance drops when they hit 25 mm-hmm. because it's been decided that that's when the frontal lobe is fully formed, right. whatever. Um, I've now heard because of the the younger children going through COVID and having lacked a lot of experiences, they're saying that their prefrontal cortex will not continue to be complete until 27. It's wow. delayed. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's Cognitive what the studies stuff. are saying right now. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So because they're the normal pattern of physical maturing was interrupted mm-hmm. yeah. that he's talking about here, it's delayed it's delayed it. Interesting. Yeah. I just find it absolutely fascinating that at this point in time of understanding humanness, he lands at three sevens mm-hmm. and 21 and how much we've held to that still. Yeah. Is it truth? Because he, he found it in scripture, you know, um, well, or so do it, we just, it's just hang on to it. <laughs> I'm not even sure this part's necessarily strictly from scripture as much as it is observational. You know what I mean? I know, but I'm going to trust him that he did what he said he should do in the first. And that if you want to know yourself, yeah. you need to study scripture. So I'm going to just give him credit. <laughs> but, but it is interesting. That it all from scripture. It's interesting that it's three and seven, too. I know. Some nice, some nice um, important numbers when it comes to scripture. So, yeah. The last line of that of 14 is, um, or the last two, let them rule the fish of the sea, the flying creatures of the sky, and the wild beasts of the earth. This is the blessing. This is the legislation. This is the honor given to us by God. So mm-hmm. it's like that, that. I love the way he states that he states that the blessing, the legislation, and the honor. Like mm-hmm. it's a gift, but then it's also a duty, uh-huh. and then it's and it's it's what will be the honor. Like doing doing so will be what brings you honor. Oh God, that's uh, interesting. 
Hmm. Thanks for pulling on that thread. Yeah. So I titled this section care of earth. Hmm. You know, we are, we are to rule it, to shepherd it. Section 14, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he says, go, ahead. go ahead. On the section where he says, fill the earth. He says, um, God made us as masters so as to fill it. And we fill the earth by our reason. I was like, ooh. And I think like fill as we also rule it by our reason, right? Because we've already pointed out these creatures could eat us, whether they be seals or lions or eagles, right. like they could all harm us pretty easily. Um, so it's by our reason that we rule it, but it's also by our reason that we fill it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, 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 wow. I like that honor is given us by God. I don't think I noticed that sentence. But it made, it made me think of something way back on section 8, page mm-hmm. 37 at the top. Mm-hmm. I was talking about us being ruling beings. And why do you serve the passions as a slave? Right? If you do all those things, if you become, if you throw away your own dignity and become mm-hmm. a slave of sin, right? Um you were appointed ruler of creation and you have renounced the nobility of your own nature. Yeah. Yeah, those two go to those two kind of bookend each other a little bit for sure. And it's interesting this is the last line he gives us before launching before shifting gears into likeness. Mm-hmm. Like this is the image you were given. Okay, and now we're going to talk about what it means to be in the likeness. Um, it's an interesting transition point. Mm. I like how he says the plan has two parts, according to the image and according to likeness, because it's we get back to the the, the deliberation idea, right? Like, mm. let us make man, and so the plan has two parts. We're going to make him like our image, or we're going to make him in our image, and according to the likeness. drives from that deliberative aspect. I don't think I ever thought about them being two separate things. That was kind of interesting to go through this. Yeah. It's interesting. He says if it was, if they're the same thing, it would be perverse to say it twice. Like he really is for economy of words. Like it would be. (laughs) Cause there's not an idle, there's not an idle word in scripture. It's like, well, yeah, that, that's that should have been obvious when I read this passage. Yeah. yeah. He's shooting for the same thing apparently in his homilies, no idle words. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't use a lot of exclamation points, right? Like mm. our society, we, we're we're more liberal with them right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so here is one. What's uh why has it not been said, quote, and God made the human being according to the image of God and according to the likeness? Was the creator exhausted? The idea is impious. <laughs> impious. Mm-hmm. Did the one giving the order change his purpose? The thought is even more impious. <laughs> I like to play with that word. Anyway. Mm. So then he, he ends it asking a question. What is the meaning of the text's mm. silence? That's good. Yeah. 
It's a great rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. He's a trained rhetorician. That, in fact, like when I was doing structural stuff, that's basically mm-hmm. what I, I have a lot more green than I normally have mm-hmm. because he has these like, I didn't know what to call them. but So I decided to call them epic questions instead of like an epic simile. It's just like he goes, <laughs> question, 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 question. Like it's uh-huh. this yeah. running line of questions. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, he's really setting you, setting you up here. Sometimes his actual questions are his his teachings, his statements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The more I went through it, the more I was, oh, he's making a he really is asking a rhetorical question in the sense that we use it now. Like you yeah. know the answer to this question. I'm just gonna pose it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'll fill the gap and you will learn it better because it came via question than for me to state it to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I noticed that. I did not mark it, but I was like, whoa, well done. I should have marked it. I will watch again. So Patty, I'm I'm like you that I didn't often really distinguish between the two. But in the parsing, he gives us important things, right? Um that the I idea that a, go ahead. Well, it's it's a good distinction, right? That we have the image and according to the likeness, and he says yet to say according to the image is not to say according to the likeness, right? They're mm-hmm. not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then later in 16, by our creation, we have the first. And by our free choice, we build the second. The likeness. Yeah, so that was like. Another term, fashion, made, build. Mm-hmm. Well, that idea, that concept, the one you just read, like totally, I was like, wait, what? Like, wait, this is the, this is where free, this is where the idea of the free choice comes in, like free will. <laughs> this is, this is it. That's what I titled <laughs> this, this section. It. Like what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so interesting that like we have the first by the creations, we have the image and then we, cho- we have to choose the likeness is oh, the, the, so then he unpacks that. And I was just like, what? My brain just kind of went to mush for the next several pages, but <laughs> Which is when we talk about interacting with our students, whether our students are five or 45, they are image bearers because by their creation, they bear his image. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yet we can interact with different humans and have that likeness reflected to us to different degrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or a lack of it or a lack of the likeness, right? Right. I wanted to speak positively of others, Brandon. Well, okay, in myself, there's this lack of likeness. <laughs> but where does he take you? So once he says that basically your likeness towards God is your own choice, he doesn't well, say good luck. I can tell you that section 17 is almost uh-huh. entirely blue. Like uh-huh. almost the whole thing. I just, yeah. I was like, because it was so convicting. It was just like. Well, just before that, right, he's in the middle of that paragraph before 17, he says, and in giving us the power to become like God, he let us be artisans of the likeness to God so that the reward for the work would be ours. And then he tells us what we can do. Yeah, yeah. So we, right, right. We get the credit for the work. The the is... Yeah. Um, Thanks for pulling on that, Patty. I, I sat with it and I didn't mark it because I, I didn't mark a single part of that section because I just like, wow. 
Yeah, right? I, and he he pulls it out. If a painter paints and you see the likeness, you praise the painter. You don't praise the the painting. Yeah, I have a <laughs> right? little bit of yellow in there, like that line, and then I same. I'm the same, uh, Andrea. I don't have much written. I was like, wait, I don't know what to say about this. Yeah, yeah. Thus, we would not be like images made by a painter lying inertly, lest our likeness should bring praise to another. For when you see an image exactly shaped like the prototype, you do not praise the image, but you marvel at the painter. Accordingly, so that the marvel may become mine and not another's, he has left it to me to become according to the likeness of God. So I'm going to ask another odd question. So then, in some regard, are we to praise one another? Right? Like sometimes as Christians, we'll downplay that. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, where is it appropriate? To what degree ought we be acknowledging yeah. one another's um, artistry? <laughs> he let us be artisans of the likeness of God to God so that the reward for the work would be ours. I think the more we see the likeness of Christ, the more we should praise that. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we are not a hater of evil or if, yeah, if we're not a hater of evil, free of rancor, Right, if we're loving our brother, we're compassionate, if we forgive our enemy, mm-hmm. love our neighbor. Mm-hmm. We put on Christ. That's then, what I titled this one, 17. Yeah. 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 Right. And so, like, I think for me, at least subconsciously, I've thought of like putting on Christ. Mm-hmm. As the um, as the as the good part, not the good part, the um, the uh, covering part of that, right? Like I'm gonna put on Christ so that, uh, all right, my sins don't get seen. <laughs> like you yeah. know, that, that kind of that I'm putting on Christ, but like it's mm-hmm. like covering up my. And, but but he's talking about this is you put on Christ by. You'd be like Christ by being like Christ. Like there's no, like, there's no other way to put it, right? Like um, mm. the likeness happens when you do the things, um, when you have sympathy, when you are compassionate, when you. And so I think this is where this is where he helps us escape the 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 gnostic trap he may have set up for us in the beginning, right? Like to have the likeness, you need the body for for human beings. Mm-hmm we need the body to go do the things um, that, that make us the likeness. God doesn't need that body to do the things, but we do uh, because we're, we're not infinite in the way he's infinite. And so, um, and then that's, this is, I told you that Andrea, that I think he had, like he has some of the best definitions. We came to another one. What is mm. Christianity mm. likeness to God as far as is possible for human nature. That is the most like dense definition for Christianity I've ever seen. And and I was like, well, we've had it for like 1700 years. Why don't we use that one more often? <laughs> so <laughs> it has the question. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, I mean, and part of putting on Christ isn't to hide ourselves, Brandon, like you just thought. Right. That's hiding our shame. He is right. not bringing that up here. That's not what putting on Christ is at all. Because leading up to this, he's told us that we have dignity, that we are rulers, we are noble. Right. That's an understanding born of shame and fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not an understanding born of of revealed glory and and my inheritance and my my creation. Um I don't know. This was both convicting and and edifying at the same time. Mm-hmm. It also harkens back to the image because at the beginning of seventeen, he says, "The scripture, you know, for he makes the sun rise upon the evil and good, and he sends rain upon the just and the unjust." Mm-hmm. Right. So as we do all these things, we're still remembering, right, that everyone is an image of God, right, and then how we what we do, right? brings us closer to the likeness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will admit that I went back to the introduction ah. in section 18. Okay. Only because the footnote said, see introduction. And I was like, well, I didn't read, I didn't read that far. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause this part was confusing. Uh, at least it was for me. Uh-huh. He says, and God made the human being according to his image, the, and then he has in in like brackets, masculine human being, says the woman. What's that have to do with me? The man came to be, for it does not say the feminine human being, she says. Uh, But by by setting forth the masculine human being, it implies the masculine. So those parts and brackets are not in the texts explicitly. Right. And so it's referring to how this is written in the Septuagint in the Greek. And it uses the word that's generic word for man, anthropos, not, um, but it uses like some, the, 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 what do you call it? Um, the thing that's getting translated the, uh, or the, is like the masculine form of that. So it's like the masculine form of the with anthropos. So, there was just like, I guess, misconception. He's trying to correct that these things about image and likeness only apply to males. Um, we call it the. Um, yeah, I like that he he goes through saying how we're equal, right? But you know, obviously, there he said women. You know, were weaker than men. But he says the weakness is in the flesh and the soul is the power. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just this weird, like there's a definite article there in the Greek that like makes the question arise, I guess, for the for the Greek speaking audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just kind of shooing that idea. Um, yeah, I or, think we've had that argument for ages. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, and by reminding him that the verse then says he created them man and woman. Yeah, like, man, that's female. the very next line, right? So, <laughs> um, but I really like that that gets into that the weakness is in the is in the flesh. It's in the soul that the, where the power comes from. And that's the image he already talked about. And yeah, we've been having that argument forever. But in Basil's time, this is like a revolutionary idea, right? To the to the Greeks and the Romans. That there's not this kind of difference. And so this is 
goes back to Christianity uh, revolutionizing the the honor of women. If you are else to put that um, in, in in the ancient world, what a distinction they made between. Uh, and you see it as far you know in the Gospels all the way through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like on 46, where he says, when has man been able to imitate the vigor of women in fastings, <laughs> the love of toil and prayers, the abundance and tears, the readiness for good works? Yeah. Yeah. And That's anybody who, yeah. A friend of mine, he has explained to his sons, he's like, look around. Uh, the women that you have been blessed to know are actually quite strong. Sure. You can out arm wrestle them. Sure, you could pin them down, knock them over. And yet, um, they, they cry more than you do, and they endure more. And, yeah. and like it's just been interesting to hear it from a man today explaining it to younger men um, that women are actually strong, though they appear weak. And here it is from a Cappadocian father saying the same thing. And I don't hear that, you know. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's this, this way. There's this element of because he does talk about the flesh, mm-hmm. they're being weaker, they're being weaker in the flesh. But then, then he follows it up with something that basically points out to be weaker in the flesh and then still to endure suffering is a is a is a greater strength of the soul, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that applies when, when you look at even among men and among women, those who have less physical stem ability, you know but then endure the same suffering. I think about it when I go to like, uh, when I was during Lent like two years ago and I was like seeing these people in our church who are much older than me and have much more physical ailment. And they're still like committing to doing as much of the physical part of like, um, you know, bowing and, you know, and those kind of things um, that is part of a liturgical practice that's meant to be humbling and I was like, well, it's going to be pretty hard for me to be proud of how much of this I do when it's like a thousand times harder for that person with a cane and all these things to do it. Um, even a, even a tenth of what I'm doing, right. I should be able to do it. I'm, I'm middle aged, relatively healthy, you know, person. And so this is, I just love this. That he's pointing out that, that, that whatever conception you might have about physical strength, and physical weakness that only that only elevates the amount of suffering of the soul that this person goes through because they don't have the physical strength to fall back on the same amount of physical strength to fall back on in some cases um and so i don't know that was it's 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 a really good like you said corrective or uh, instruction for young men especially andrea um when the world is feeding them a lot of things Either they're feeding this hyper masculinity or they're feeding them something, you know, that's uh, emasculating. So they, they, their only choice is to pick one of those two things. They're going to probably tend toward the hyper masculinization, right? And so to have this corrective is so good. Um, I, I like the second to last paragraph. He says, because he gives the example of the woman who got up and did all kinds of things and kept it quiet, right? So the good woman has that which is according to the image. And then he mm-hmm. says, do not cling to the outer human being. It is molded like clay. The soul is placed within, under the coverings and the delicate body. 
Soul indeed is equal in honor to soul, and the coverings is the difference. Mm. Right. So if that's for man and woman, right? Whole to the soul. So he says, therefore, because of all of that, you have become like God. How? Through kindness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. through endurance of evil, through communion, through love for one another and love for the brethren, being a hater of evil, dominating the passions of sin, that to you may belong the rule. Yeah. That's for all humans. We all need that. Yeah. Soul is indeed equal in honor to soul. Like, mm-hmm. yep. Baseline. Like start here, right? Like, Yep. Every soul you encounter is equal in honor. Like it's just period. Oh. Well, it's not a period. It's a semicolon here. But yeah. anyway, in the covering is the difference. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. And I, I forget where in the New Testament, but it's it, it. Paul says something about that, how there's not man, woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. In Christ, there's neither man, yes. woman, or Jew, uh, Jew, nor gentile slave nor free thank you yeah i don't know where it is either but <laughs> it's in there yeah and so then he, you know we're now we're getting into him kind of the last part you just said is he he restates so i had highlighted a big chunk of 17 that long running part but then he kind of says it more succinctly right where you just said andrea at the end of 18 mm-hmm. that last little paragraph mm-hmm. and so he's beginning to kind of bring it all together between the image and the and the um lightness um i love 19 so then he gives us away like so if 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 in 18 he's summarizing so many things therefore mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. be kind endure evil partake in communion love one another mm-hmm. right how do you do that because that's those actually are not easy those are the simple things which means they are not easy right <laughs> right? right these are very simple statements right mm-hmm. feed the poor like this is not a hard thing to understand it's pretty simple but it's difficult to do yeah, Love so he neighbor. gives us 19. And to me, he says here, um, uh, on page 47, the last full paragraph on that page, it starts off, rule the thoughts in yourself that you may become ruler of all beings. Oh, but that's not the one I wanted. So, but but prior to that, it's going to, we rule animals to practice ruling ourselves. Mm. Oh, you're indeed created ruler, ruler of passions, ruler of beasts, ruler of creeping things, ruler of winged creatures. There it is. Um. Yeah, but that whole setup is before that, right? Like, you have you have you really become a ruler? Of, this is where you said he answers the question is the answer, right? Have you really have you truly become ruler of beasts if you rule those outside but leave those within ungoverned, like the beasts within? There it's it is. Like, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we get to practice ruling the animals as a place to learn how to rule ourselves, our own passions, possibly. Yeah. Is that, do you read that there? Or is that me? No, I think, uh, I mean, I think, I think they're interconnected for sure. Like the, you, you, because then he goes on to talk about like, no one really cares whether or not you can cage the lion, right? Nobody is condemned for not catching a lion, but one who will not govern anger is ridiculous to everyone. So one does not pretend, prevail over his own passion is led to condemnation, while the one who cannot prevail over wild beasts does not appear to have done anything worthy of blame. Like no one's going to blame you if you can't catch a lion, but if you can't, control your own anger, you will get all kind of condemnation. And yeah. again, I heard Andrew Kern echo in my mind. Because he talks about as parents helping our children to first rule um the non-living things, you know, put away mm-hmm. their toys. 
and then to rule a living thing, a plant. So that when the plant dies, we're not too devastated. Before they rule the living thing like the pet, the dog, the cat, the gerbil, fish, that could die if they don't feed them. Yes. As places to practice ruling our passions. I don't think, I don't, yeah. Well, we have been going for over an hour. So we definitely should only cover one homily at a time. Um, <laughs> there's any doubt. Uh, any any final thoughts on, on this one? I just wanted to mention one thing while y'all are thinking. If you've been around Cersei for a while, and some of you, we all were in the apprenticeship, I think when this was still kind of around, there was this uh, this uh, call to action. Uh, I am indeed a king. I think for I know how to rule myself, which we shoot a little bit because of its because of its source. It's not like the guy was saying it's not the greatest guy in the source, but but I've I've wanted a good replacement for it because mm-hmm. I like it. I like the idea, mm-hmm. like the concept behind it. Right. And I think we've got some things to pull from in this last section in nineteen. Right, like you are indeed created ruler, and then you know the answer being ruler of passions, ruler of beasts, ruler of keeping things, ruler of winged creatures. Cause it starts off with ruler of passions. Like that's the most important thing that you rule. Mm. So anyway, I just throwing that out there for those of you looking for something to for a little call and response. Uh, if you do class catechisms or anything of those of, of that nature. Brandon. Um, yeah. And then you could even pair that with the next paragraph rule, rule the thoughts in yourself and they could respond that you may become ruler of all beings. So I was looking for something this year, actually, for the the class I'm teaching to replace that that kind of opening call to action, yeah. and um, and now I have one for next year. I had to find, I had to come up with something else this year, but now. I have oh, one. I like this one. Yeah, Patty, you any any final thoughts on homily one here? I love going through Genesis, um, just kind of breaking it out and seeing those things that I never thought about, right? I just gloss over it and mm-hmm. I just memorize it. Um, but I also, back in section eight on page 36, he says, um, let us make the human being and let them be, ang- <laughs> well, he says not, let us make the human being and let them be angry and lustful and sorrowful for the passions are not included in the image of God. Mm-hmm but the reason is master of the passions and let them rule the fish. As soon as you're made, you're also made ruler. So that anger, I liked his metaphor. Anger is a little beast when it barks in the heart. (laughs) Um, That our, our reason, what makes us different from the other animals, right? That rationality helps us rule over these passions and then we can heal ourselves. And that's good, Patty. Thank you. And on that note, I would like to read the closing of this. Homily. Oh yeah, such a such a humble ending As to a homily. My final thoughts. Go for it. May please. the Lord has provided what is written, who has also enabled our small and weak tongue to converse with thus with you, who through our weak reason has intimated a great treasure for you in the few outlines of truth give to you through small things great things through a few seeds the perfection of knowledge may he grant to us the complete reward for our free choice and that you be fulfilled in the fruit of your enjoyment of divine words and thereby to him be glory and dominion unto ages of ages amen 
Oh, there's not much better way to end that. So thank you both for being here. Thank you everybody for listening who um, took, off, took down the book and, and opened it up with us. We hope you'll join us next week for the next episode of Ruby Classic, where we'll talk about Homily 2. You can send any questions or comments to podcast at CerseInstitute.org. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.